0: Survival of the Richest. Donald Jeffries separates the real from the unreal,
1: fact from fiction, fact from fiction.
0: Reverse engineering our manufactured reality. And now, from just outside the swamp-infested Washington D.C., this is I Protest with Donald Jeffries.
1: And welcome to I Protest. This is indeed Donald Jeffries. I am indeed outside the swamp-infested Washington D.C. We come to you every Friday at this time. And I have a very special guest today. Um, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny is a specialist in integrative medicine who came to my attention, obviously, as one of the the doctors from the very beginning who questioned, and there were pretty many of them, uh, who questioned this uh, COVID narrative. And uh, she's been very great on that. And she was gracious enough to write the foreword to my recently released book, Masking the Truth, How COVID-19 Destroyed Civil Liberties and Shut Down the World. I'm just pleased as punch to her here, Dr. Teeth. Thanks for coming on the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Don. What a great pleasure. You know, you've been on my podcast a couple of times, so it's yeah. just an honor to be uh, a guest on your show.
1: Well, we switched roles, so we'll see, yeah, see, how, a bit. see, see how we do in the, in, the, in the different roles. So, well, t- tell us a little bit about, you know, your background and maybe what led you, were you predisposed to, um, to doubt, because it, it takes a lot of courage, especially someone in your industry. I mean, we've seen what has happened to some of these renegade doctors and nurses, especially a lot of them have lost their jobs over, uh, you know, whistleblowing and and questioning things. Uh, were you always this way or was it just something special about this particular thing that just hits you? Wow, this is ridiculous. I have to talk out about it, speak out about it.
0: Well, I got involved in talking out about problems associated with vaccines 20 years ago. I went to the National Vaccine in September of 2000 and I came home after four three and a half days and said how did I happen to miss this I grew up in a chiropractic family I was not vaccinated as a kid I had all the age appropriate measles mumps rubella chicken Mm -hmm. pox I think I had pertussis twice um and my dad had uh um, growing up at a chiropractic camp in fact my grandfather my father three uncles and two cousins are chiropractors and that's how I be- wanted to become an osteopathic physician to be a DO to have that uh, manual medicine tool in my toolbox so um, you know when I went to that meeting in September of 2000 I came home and I said huh How did I miss this? I really don't know much about vaccines because we never talked about it in medical school. And um, when I graduated from medical school, there were only three vaccines, unlike now, where there are multiple doses of 17. So I came home and I started looking at it. And the deeper I went down the rabbit hole, the more I found that vaccines have never been proven to be safe. They don't keep you from getting sick. They are not necessary and they definitely cause harm. And so, the first three years or so that I was investigating that, I spent a lot of time being really angry. I was angry at the doctors for not reading the package inserts. I was angry at the pharmaceutical companies for scamming physicians. I was really actually pretty angry at parents for not taking the time to, you know, wonder what they were going to be injecting into their children and yeah. never even bothering to question. And then after it, and I spent about the first four years trying to figure out why did we really do this? I could find nothing in the thousands of hours. And literally, I've put in more than 40,000 hours of research into this at the beginning, trying to figure out why did we think that this was a good idea to inject foreign matter into little bitty babies and young children to somehow keep them from getting sick? And why did we do all this at the same time? And I never, all these years later, you know, 23 years later, and tens of thousands of hours of research later, there is no good reason to be doing this. And so when the COVID shot came along, it was kind of just a natural extension from what I had been doing all of these years to just sit back and go, well, what's this next nonsense about? <laughs> Let's take a look at this. And so that's uh, what I did. And I was very busy in, in between um, March of, tw- uh, tw- well, actually... Yeah, from about the middle of Mar- of 2020 to the end of 21, I did about 600 interviews. And to put that in mm. context with your listeners, I usually do about 30 a year. And so we just, I just said to Michelle, I said, let's just buckle up, man. We've got to just get as much information out as fast as we can on the myth of the mask, the nonsense of the social distancing, the fraud of the PCR testing, and of course, the, the biological weapon and the deaths that are going to happen from these shots. It's it's just the way that it is. The monkey is going to show up. And, and with the help of your book that was fabulously written and I was honored to write the forward to, you know, um, and other people that continue to talk out, hopefully we can get people to stop volunteering their bodies to be a social experiment for the pharmaceutical industry.
1: I hope so. Well, you mentioned about vaccines and I've written a little bit about in Crimes and Cover Upside book. I, I talked about how... Uh, when vaccines were introduced, uh, I guess, late 1800s type of period, it, it seemed to coincide almost directly with the sudden emergence of cancer under the scene. And I talked to a lot of the doctors at the time, and I quoted from them in the book, talked about, hey, this is, you know, vaccines are causing this or something. And uh, you're right about the vaccines that work. For instance, I, as a little kid, I had the, you know, the major uh, Vaccinations as well, and uh, you know, I I caught chickenpox as an adult when when uh, when I caught it from one of my daughter's friends. I was very it's very serious when you get it as an adult, and uh, so I don't know what I was you know being protected against or not. And even something like polio, hasn't there been evidence to, to show that polio was kind of on the way out anyhow, before the vaccine. That's what I've heard. I don't know if that's true or not, because that's usually cited as well. What about Jonas Salk? What about polio? Is that well, the well, truth
0: the measles was on its way out before they introduced that for, for sure for sure the measles. Yeah. I mean in 19 the, the measles the measles vaccine came out in 1963 and a couple years later it came out as MMR. So measles, mumps, and rebellion. Yes, yes. Before the measles vaccine came uh, uh, was introduced into the general public, the year before the death rate from measles was two per million, two per million the death rate. Um, and then the, ma- the, measles, the vaccine came out the following year. And so even today here, you know, 50, 60 years later, um, you know, the pediatricians will threaten their, the parents into getting a measles vaccine because, you know, if you get measles, your children, your child will die. Yeah. Well, the death rate was negligible, like non-existent before the vaccine even became around. The same with the pertussis vaccine. I mean, polio sort of came and went in the 50s. It was on its way out when they introduced it. And even today, the few handful of countries across the world that still document wild polio virus, which is only Afghanistan, um, uh, Pakistan, a couple of other countries like that uh, that are worn toward poverty stricken, poor sanitation countries, um, they still are continuing, Gavi is still continuing to fund funnel billions of dollars into the polio eradication system across the country, or across the world. And every time I read those numbers of how they they, each year, each couple of years, they put tens of billions of dollars more into polio eradication. I always think, what could those poor, poor countries do With those billions of dollars, Mm -hmm. if they had, if they could put the money into education, into sanitation, into electricity, so they could have refrigeration, um, all of those different things of what that couldn't do. And when they would have like somewhere between eight and 10 cases of, of acute flaccid paralysis. And they blame it on polio, or more importantly, they blame it on the polio viruses that are still using in the oral polio vaccine. That's where paralysis is still coming from. And there's a handful of like seven or eight other viruses that can cause paralysis. The thing that they never tell you, they never tell you when they're they're saying, oh, well, these kids showed up with flaccid paralysis and we tested their stool and oh, there was the presence of this virus there. The thing they never tell you is, did the child recover? You know, because we know that even at the height of the polio epidemic back in the nineteen fifties, ninety eight percent of children who developed any form of paralysis after they were exposed to this virus or to the DDT or to the other chemicals that they that they were exposed to, ninety eight percent of them had full recovery. The other two percent recovered uh, somewhat more over the next several years. They never tell you whether or not this kid had paralysis. And if they recovered, they just make the assumption that they didn't. And we've got all these um, p- paralyzed kids running around that wouldn't have to be so if we just vaccinated them. It's it's a really big ugly story about the polio story is a really big ugly story.
1: Well, d- d- is, isn't it? Such a, I mean, I've I've heard, and I I don't know if it's I forget if I I think I was able to source it in the book, but. Uh, India supposedly didn't. Bill Gates introduce introduce some kind of polio vaccine in there that caused uh, some astounding amount of paralysis or something like that.
0: Well, what actually was is that um, you know in 2012, polio uh, the the um, India was declared polio free by the World Health Organization that they had not had any cases of poli of of paralysis associated with the polio virus for a full year, which then the World Health Organization declares them to be polio free. As time went on though, what they began to see was something that was called acute non-polio acute flaccid paralysis. So they were getting paralyzed by other types of viruses and was causing worse types of paralysis that they didn't recover from. And more and more kids were dying. And several of the very outspoken pediatricians in India were talking about the fact of we had less children that were paralyzed, less children that were dying when we still had a few cases of of, uh, polio around. But now that we've ostensibly eliminated it, we're seeing worse disease that's showing up in in the gap. And I'm glad you brought that up because people don't generally talk about that very often, that what's happening in India now is far worse than it ever was when they still had a few cases per year out of billions, of out of, you know, more than a billion people of of an infection that caused some paralysis that they labeled it to be polio.
1: Well, and that's, you know, that's one area I look at and I, I, you know, I think I approach this different than some of the other people that have written books about this. First of all, I tell the whole story. I go back to the very beginning, and I'm questioning COVID-19 itself, which a lot of people start with the premise: well, there was something there, and go from it. But I, I look, okay, what is this something? As I understand, it's never been isolated. The, the COVID-19 strain, they have no isolates of it. They they tell you that. So to me, that means they can't. They they have to prove it exists, right? I mean, if you <laughs> if you're you know you have you have to come up with some. It seems like they should be able to do that, but so I, I question the the. Uh, the existence or whatever this thing is itself. But if you look at, let's assume that they're telling the truth and some kind of pandemic happened, whatever. Uh, What does this say about the medical industrial complex, which of course, you know, you are right in the middle of. I worked for it for a long time, mostly in IT, but I I saw a lot of the sausage being made. But um, what does it say about that? Is it with all all our supposed advanced technology and all the things that we can't get a grip on something like this that, uh, we can't hold down the cases if you believe their numbers. We can't hold down the deaths if you believe their numbers. We can't stop something like myocarditis from study, you know going into things we never heard of before for little children. And the death, the life expectancy rate is dropping. I mean, what what is, what does that say about our healthcare system? Should, does that make any sense to me as a layman? I'm saying that makes no sense at all. Everything should be in the other direction if what we're told about technology and the competency of those who are you know, administering this. But what, what do you think about that? Am I am I off base in questioning that?
0: No. I mean, if this was about health, this vaccine would have, this shot, I don't want to call it a vaccine because it's not, this jab would have never come to market in the first place. I mean, we knew from, you know, with the Pfizer shot was released in December of 2020. And by March of 21, there were enough, Um, adverse event signals that were happening that it should have been stopped in its tracks. And then when the Pfizer documents came out and showed more than 1,200 different conditions, diseases, and side effects that they knew about before they ever released it, it should have never been brought to the market in the first place. So if this was about health, it would have been stopped before it even got started. That's that's what would have happened. And, and, And now that the, you know, three years into this, two and a half years of data that we have, And we've got great researchers like Peter McCullough and and, um, Ed Dowd and, you know, coming out with all the numbers and showing that unequivocally we have caused more death and destruction that is going to continue to go on. It's not going to stop. COVID-19, whatever that was, because I agree with you, we didn't ever isolate anything. So whatever that was is gone. But the death and destruction that we're going to continue to see over the next Mm -hmm. five to 10 years in people that have gotten these jabs is going to go on. And that that hockey stick of death rate and disability is going to go on for a long
1: time. Well, not only has the life expectancy rate uh, dropped, which is, you know, it's it's, I mean, there's you look at some of the countries where people live longer than they do in America. And it's that's a shameful indictment. It of is. our system with all the wealth we have and you have these tiny countries. I mean, that makes no, I mean, of course we have, well, our food, our diet, everything. That's again, that's an indictment of the system. But what about an even more shocking fact, the life, the life insurance, the insurance industry uh, a couple of years ago is up in arms and say, hey, look, the death rate went up, the overall death rate went up 40% in 2021. That's if it goes up 5%, it would be unprecedented. That's a cataclysmic. No one's really explained it. How is Peter McCullough? You mentioned he was on my show, and and he said at that time he said there's only one new factor that's been entered the equation. What else can it be but the vaccine and the killing fields of the hospitals that people are dying by hospital um, protocol, like my brother and so many others that I've had on this show. What are your thoughts on on, on the fact that really? Politicians and media have been relatively silent on something. that's. You talk about a a pandemic. That's a pandemic right there. 40% increase in the death rate.
0: Yeah, 40% increase in the death rate. And now that the statistics are coming, I mean, the CDC just dropped numbers just the other day, saying that um, one of the uh, early on in the early numbers that they had, um, that they actually had a um, a number of people, that 100% of the people that died were were vaccinated. I mean, the CDC is now saying that. And, um, you know, and, and the, you know, there was a, a, a little meme that I saw, I don't know, it was probably a year, year and a half ago now. It was a kind of a chubby male physician in like a white coat. And it said underneath it, the, title, the thing underneath it, it said, meet Dr. Perplexed.
1: Yes, baffled. That, that baffled thing was everywhere. Doctors <laughs> yes, are
0: baffled. <laughs> they're baffled. Meet doctors Perplexed. They have no idea because they've been told not to make the connection, they will lose money. They will have to pay back some of the money, the big dollars that they got. They could get sanctioned by their employer because most physicians are unlike myself. I mean, I'm an independent practitioner. So I, I, I am not an employee of a hospital system. I don't work for some big government facility. So I can read the information and talk about it and not be in fear of letting my job because I work for some big hospital system. Well, other physicians are concerned about that because, you know, they got kids in college and, you know, they have a lifestyle. They probably, they're probably in their fifties and still working on paying back their school loans, you know, seriously. And so they don't, they don't want to, or they are, they just don't want to lose their jobs. And so um, the, the death rate being what it is. and, 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 and now, you know, we actually know that nobody really died of COVID in the hospital. They died of medical malpractice. Yes. They died from medical malpractice because they were not given the correct medication of hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, budesimide. Yep. They were not given um, high dose vitamin C. They were not getting their vitamin D levels even tested. They were not given any of the appropriate medications. They were put on ventilators when they didn't need to be. They were not treated as pneumonia when they should have been. And they were given a drug that killed their kidneys called uh, remdesivir. Yes. And so it murdered them. And I've been saying for two and a half years now, all, what we need is a few well-placed, pla- well very highly visible malpractice lawsuits and, that, and, and suits against the hospital system, if they could get out from underneath the, um, the PREP Act to be able to do that, to make it fairly highly visible, and then a whole bunch of physicians are going to fall in line because they all are going to be afraid of getting sued. And so some smart lawyers out there, and I've been working with some of them, are fi- trying to figure out a way to do that, to have a couple of, because these are all malpractice, uh, these are mm-hmm. all malpractice things. They were not, and, and some of them, honestly, I think were intentional murders. I mean, now, you know, Tom Rents now has come out with a, with a, 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 like in the pocket video recording of them talking about a particular hospital where the doctors knew that they were putting people up there to die. I mean, how could this be, but it yeah. is, it well, is.
1: It's, it's all, and I, I've talked to so many people with exact same experience as my brother. Uh, once they get that diagnosis, which they get a bonus for 13,000 or whatever, once they say they have COVID and then put them on the ventilator, it's 39,000. But once they get the diagnosis, my in, in ability to see my brother, uh, I had Sheila Skibon on last week, her ability to see her husband, so many others I've talked to and had on the show, uh, they quarantine them. So they're isolated. And a lot of times these people are maybe elderly and they're not, maybe they're not, like my brother was not really able to advocate for himself. I always advocated for him. But once they isolate them, they're able to do whatever they want, even though you're telling them over the phone as I did, no remdesivir, no, no ventilator. They went ahead and did it anyhow. They did it with uh, uh, Rob Skiba. They did it with so many of these other people and you're not there to see it. And then so I'm glad you mentioned the lawsuits because there's two lawyers up that they were on Alex Jones's show. I know. And I think they're out in California that have sued, I think, three, two or three different hospitals out there for this this stuff. And the way they describe it, it's step by step what they did to my brother. It seems to be a pattern that to do each time this protocol and they follow the protocol and it's deadly protocol. And when they die, they put COVID-19 on the on the death certificate, even though it wasn't. You know, It wasn't. My brother was healthy. He walked in with no symptoms at all, but he was a hypochondriac. And he called an ambulance, as he did very often for s- stupid reasons, and I couldn't stop him from doing it, in the middle of the night. He was already in the hospital, and he did it. And that was it. Two, he went from completely healthy, two weeks exactly, to dead. And it was all because of the protocol, and I didn't get to see him the entire time or monitored. And that's the way it is for so many other people. So I hope they can be successful. I'll certainly join one at some point if they do it. But do you hear anything about these? There's there's two lawyers and there's, I think, two women. I don't know if they're family members what. I, I think it's a separate lawsuit out in California, but I've heard of two lawsuits. I don't know if you know more about that than I do.
0: Um, I don't, I'm not really, I, I know that there's a lot that have been burbling around. I know that there's a lot of lawsuits against state medical boards now that are going on for, for harassment of physicians who are trying to speak out and for the censorship issues. I just think that maybe the rest of 23 and perhaps going into 24 will be the, the year we'll, start, we'll start to really see the, uh, the justice that will come about, I hope so. you know, because, yeah. um, you know, we spent all of 2020 being scared to death and all the crazy things that went along with that fear-based n- nonsense. And then we spent 21, uh, you know, with everybody getting these shots and now 22 starting to unwind it in 23, the great reveal. In fact, I actually, it's one of the things I say, it's sort of the gift of COVID. You know, the Bible says that all things that are hidden will come to light. And I think that one of the gifts of COVID is that we're seeing now, like really seeing it in ways that we've never seen it before. I mean, I think that a lot of us, particularly if you're in the patriot movement or like with you writing books that expose all these different things. um, I think we've all kind of known it, but I don't think we really knew how bad it really, really was. And no. how depth the corrupt, how deep the corruption went inside of politics and inside of like our institutions, like the CDC and the FDA and the NIH and and um, NIAID. We I think we didn't we kn- kind of knew it. We kind of thought there was probably some dirty fingers in there. But now it's being fully exposed and the fully exposed how the doctors are doing things for money. They're, they're murdering for money, as, as uh, Tom Rentz says frequently. And yeah. and how bad the the uh, the justice system is, um, how bad that the um, you know, the uh, mainstream propaganda media is. I mean, I think that suddenly people are I hate to use the expression. I really don't like the expression waking up. Because I sort of feel like if you're not awake now, you're in a permanent coma and there's yeah, just the yes. way you're going to be forever, yes, you know. Yes. But I do think that those people who are are paying attention, that they're starting to connect the dots and they're starting to see, you know what, I, I've hid my head in the sand for a really long time because it was so hard for me to believe that my government wasn't here to protect me, you know. But now I know for sure that my government has assaulted me and has has forced me to do something against my will that has killed many of the friends and people that I know or made them chronically sick and so I believe that um you know probably now that we're get maybe going to i'm hopeful we'll get some traction the rest of this year and going into next year on um some justice, and some of these people will actually you know, I keep saying prison is too good for the likes of Fauci and some of these other people.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's hard to think up a suitable pun. That's why, again, this is a spiritual battle. And I, I think you'd have to be a supernatural force to deal with this stuff. But uh, there's a question on the screen For I left it up there. Do, do you adhere to the germ and virus theory? I'm very skeptical of the researcher Pasteur at this point. Are you, are you like Andy Kaufman?
0: <laughs> I am not like Andy Kaufman <laughs> or Tom Cowan. And, okay. and they know it. Yeah. And because I've gone round and round with them personally, because there are holes in that argument that I just can't justify. Now, I mean, you know, when you say germ theory, does that also involve parasites and protozoa and bacteria and all these other things? Are you going to throw all those out with the baby with the bathwater too? Some of the yeah. things with viruses, because we know there's viruses that. In nature, that are plant viruses and an- other animal viruses, and that infect trees and all these other things. Are we going to throw all that out too? Um, and so, I just feel like there's holes in the argument. Now, do I believe that the COVID, like do I believe in the COVID virus? Absolutely not. We know that that was a computer generated sequence of amino acids, and there's right. there's no way to replicate it. But to take all of it and throw it out, I just really, I I, yeah. I can't. I haven't been able to justify it in my own mind yet. Far enough, Don, that I could say yes. All of virology for plants, animals, fish, turtles, right. of all these other things, all of it just needs to be thrown in the trash. I can't yeah. quite get. I haven't gotten there yet.
1: Well, I and I, I agree. I mean, I, I'm not knowledgeable on it. You're you're, you're obviously you're a doctor. You know a heck of a lot more than than the, the rest of us would. But so it's it's nice to hear your perspective. But, uh, John Bassiglon wants to know. I, I I usually we get a lot of comments. so I ask as we go along if that's okay with you. Uh, Uh, It may be premature. What do you think about Dr. Rashid Buttar and and his uh, very suspicious death that happened very recently?
0: Um, What I know about, there's some things I'm not really at liberty to talk about. And Rashid was a really, really dear friend of mine. I've known him for more than 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he said publicly many times that last fall he was seriously poisoned and oh, was okay. in the, he was in the intensive care unit for several days. I actually saw pictures of that. He did not look good at all to me. I don't, I, other than just hear you know, secondhand information. I mean, I haven't seen any lab reports. I haven't seen any of that sort, excuse me, that sort of thing. But if that really is true, he kind of, perhaps he never really recovered from that. Some, you know, there's a lot of conjecture and a lot yeah. of things that people are kind of and I told the family, you know, I said to them, listen, you guys need to take care of need to take control of this message or the media is going to do it. And the rumor mill is going to do it for you. I mean, when my husband died nine and a half years ago, I knew that I needed to come clean and tell the whole story of what that was about. If I, or somebody else was going to make something up and say, Dr. Ted, husband was killed. No, I don't think oh. he was. He had <laughs> atrial fibrillation and yeah. you know, there was other things. And, um, but you know the, the, when you're a public figure, when you're a public persona, um, and you've got millions of people that have watched you, have followed you, have known you for years, to me, transparency is really important, and it's really trans, you know, transparency of really knowing what happened and what's going on. And maybe the family will come out with that eventually. I mean, you, know, you know, Don, when, when Kevin died, it was three years before I could actually function. And so expect, expecting mm-hmm. this family of three young children and a and an ex-wife and a girlfriend and brothers and sisters and people like that to yeah. suddenly just be like, Oh, okay, here I am. I'm on stage. And I'm going to tell the story when it, it's not even hardly been a month yet. I think yeah. that's a lot to ask of the family. I really right. do.
1: Well, and it's so many I included in the book, as you know, I talked about some of the suspicious deaths and there were some suspicious deaths, a couple of leaders in Africa that, you know, had, it questioned the vaccine, man. And it all tended to be people that were questioning at least some element right. of this. And they died, you know, unnaturally. And I, that's a feature of my writing. I always look into the unnatural deaths that are associated with too many of these events from JFK yeah. you know, to 9-11 to to this. And uh, so I think when you know, when anybody dies like that, people are especially that if you're uh, awake to this or forget the, the uh the expression, then you're going to, you end up questioning everything. And that's what happens with the virus theory and things like that. And because so many lies are being told, you know, you, you can go to the extremes of just throwing everything out. And a lot of times we think, you know, is there, can we believe anything? Cause we're being lied to about everything. What, what can we believe at this point? So I, if you were, if you were a young person, you're really young, just starting out as a, let's say, you just got your, you know, you just became a doctor, you just became an MD, uh, how do you think you'd be viewing things, because you're just entering the field, and how do young doctors feel at this point when th- this is going on, especially if you haven't, I, I assume maybe you might have been skeptical then. I don't know. Have you changed over the years? I mean, I was always radical from the time I was a teenager, so I would have looked at it the same way. <clears throat> but would you you think, how would that affect you? you? Think you would would you have thought of, well, God, maybe I didn't need to get out of this field? Or how how do you think it would have been different for you if, you if this had happened, I don't know, 30 years ago or something?
0: Um. I, so, are you asking me what do I think that young doctors are thinking? Or yeah, or, or
1: just if if you had just been starting out, would you have looked at this differently? And what do you think? Do you think young doctors that are starting out are they more skeptical? I mean, no. I, I would think they're probably less skeptical, but you
0: know. no, I think that they are more indoctrinated and less likely to think critically and to do their own assessment and evaluation now than ever before. I've said for a long, long, long time, the last of the of the real thinking doctors, except for a few of us that are one offs, you know, um, the last of the real thinking doctors died in the 1940s. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they wow. Were, uh, seriously, they were the ones who really understood anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, you know, and, and I've made this statement a long time too, Don that it's like, you know, if you go to a lawyer, you expect them to know the law. If you go to a CPA, you expect them to know something about taxes and business planning. When right. you go to a doctor, you expect them to be an expert in anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, and um, and instead, what most physicians are are symptom pill algorithm driven yes. drug reps. Yeah, you know, and they don't think outside that equation. They don't if they get a complicated patient that doesn't just sit. You know, it's a um, respond to the pills that they're given, well then the problem is the patient and they should need to go see the psychiatrist. Right. (laughs) And I think in the in the 1940s when like the Lancet and the British Medical Journal and even the New England Journal of Medicine at the time, they would write these opinion pieces and go, hey, I saw 10 patients and I tried this thing and it seemed to work. I've been trying to figure out the mechanism of how that actually works, or they would say, "I saw these ten people, and nothing seems to work. What do you guys think about this? What do you think is this a, a new disease? Is this is new disease process. What do you think is happening here?" We don't kind of get that level of collegiality and and critical thinking analysis um, like we used to.
1: No, absolutely not. Well, what do you? I, I I know you know him. I would still like to be. I just have a degrees of separation between myself and Robert F. Kennedy jr. who i greatly admire i, I but I believe you know him, and you've talked mm-hmm. to him uh, before did. so what what do you think of uh him running for president? It seems like uh so far he's doing unexpectedly well in the polls, and uh he's certainly saying a lot of <laughs> he's not he's not scaling back his uh his uh, rhetoric at this point. What what do do you think of Bobby Kennedy's uh, presidential campaign?
0: Well, I've got several opinions about that. One is I think he's being extraordinarily brave. (laughs) I mean, considering (laughs) what happened to his father and his uncle and, you know, the Kennedy name, I think he's being very brave to step into that ring. And particularly, he's being particularly brave stepping into that ring with a rather contrarian message. You know, and he's already come out and said, hey, you know, I'm pretty sure my the CIA killed my uncle. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement that I think yeah. all of us, including you, who've actually written about it, we kind of know that. But for a public figure and somebody running for president to say that, that's that's kind of bold. And the other thing that I don't know where he's in it's and I'm happy that he's doing surprisingly well in the polls, but the biggest benefit to all the rest of us, kind of the silent majority that have read and understood and never had a voice. I mean, Bobby's getting on these interviews and he's just telling it like it is about yeah. COVID, the shots, about mercury and vaccines, about because being an environmental lawyer. I like what he said about, I was afraid he was going to become a kind of a rabid green, you know. Know, yeah, green environmentalists. Yeah. And he said, listen, I am an environmental lawyer. I think we need to take care of this, of the environment, but they have weaponized this and are using it out of context and using it as a way, as a control and manipulation campaign, which I thought, yes, he's exactly right. Absolutely. You know, we do need to do things like clean up the pollution in the rivers and, you know, yes. stop all the pesticides and doing the stuff that we do. But they have weaponized this and they've tried to make it be that our carbon dioxide, one of the most important nutrients, and nitrogen, one of the most important nutrients in terms of all of life, like all of life, not just humans, but all of life where we need to minimize that. I read an article yesterday, Don, that they want to kill off 200,000 cows in the (laughs) Netherlands, in the Netherlands, to balance out the carbon nitrogen imbalance in this little country, you know, which just happens to be the fourth largest supplier of food in the world. You know, now they want to kill off 65,000 head of cattle per year over the next three to four years to balance out the carbon dioxide that these cows are putting out in their farts. (laughs)
1: Where's where's the animal rights activists on this? Don't cows' lives matter?
0: Where's where's PETA when (laughs) we need them,
1: right? Yeah. One thing I, I would suggest that the RFK Jr. do because uh, I get it a lot, and it was really uh, an extreme comment he made. It's been a while ago, but when he said that climate change uh, deniers should be jailed or something like that,
0: oh, I and think that was a long time it, it ago. It was,
1: but but that's still out there. I, I especially because he's kind of alluded to that by saying it's been weaponized. If I was advising him, I'd say you really need to address that just to because there's a lot of people I think I've heard that that want to support him, but that bothers him that he's that he ever said that. I think I and I would just say look that was. Uh, it was an extreme comment. I was at a different place or something like that. Now I look at the climate change movement and it has been weaponized and it's, uh, you know, they, they don't seem to be concerned about the environment at all, really, because you they're, know, I you think
0: know. I, I, am at, I'm at a, an event here in Austin. I'm with a, at a Mickey Willis's premiere event tonight for Plandemic three. It's a, mm-hmm. it was a via it's an invitation deal and there's a dinner tonight and a really big deal tomorrow. And, and I yeah. don't know if Bobby's going to be here, but I know his team is. I will pass that along and say that he should probably, you know, because he's addressed a lot of other things in his life. I mean, all the yeah. womenizing stuff and all the sure. stuff that he did sure. by saying, you know, and I like the way he said it, you know, and I don't know who his speechwriter is. Maybe he writes his own. I really have no idea. But he yeah. said. You know, if I would have known at this point in time in my life, I think Bobby's 63, I believe, 64, somewhere around there, that I was going to be running for president, I may have chosen differently at different points in time in my life. And I've also always said, too, that if we, um, you know, uh, the problem is that some of the best people that would make the best candidates for president and make the very best president... um, there isn't any any but any human on this planet that's Lily White, and a lot of those people that in their 30s and 40s, maybe even their 50s, did really stupid stuff, sure. and they don't want anybody to know. It is permanently in a closet. They don't want anybody right. to dig out. Right. Um, so they're not going to stick their neck out and go run for public office.
1: Yeah, well, he's he certainly evolved so much on the issues. And I I talk about that in the book where I, and I don't think and I think that's why he, he has the same publisher as me. He knows who I am. He has at least some of my books. I know. Why don't you uh, have him on your show? I would love to. I can't get a I can't find a way to. I, I, I get, think I, I can help you do that. Well, please do, because I would love to have him on my show. But uh, yeah. I think that, um, you know, his his comments about Gates and Fauci during this, you something was triggered in him because he really went extreme on it and uh, he was very impacted by this. And uh, I think that that seemed to be kind of compel him to eventually decide I want to run for president because he's been so strong on this issue. And then uh, the fact that he was supposed to uh, chair a commission on va- you talked about vaccines earlier. And I, in the book, I mentioned if, if that commission that he talked about publicly, Hey, Trump talked to candidate Trump, just president elect Trump, Uh, He's going to have a commission to to investigate uh, the links between vaccines and autism, which a lot of people, Andrew and Andrew Wakefield, controversial doctor, he was sitting in the audience at Trump's inauguration, which that's why when Trump first came in, I said, wow, this is amazing. I knew Andrew Wakefield is very controversial. Uh, And then he's he's going to create a commission on autism and he's going to have Kennedy as the chair. So I was excited about that. But then what happened? The Trump White House, they stopped answering his calls. They pulled the plug in it. But just imagine if they had had that commission 2016, 2017. I don't think they could have introduced this COVID narrative because I think a lot of information would have been coming out about the subject, right?
0: Yeah. And I think that the commission was intended not to be solely focused on the connection between vaccines and autism, but just on vaccine science safety.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: and I've listened to a lot of scientists that are kind of in our circles who've said, you know, they've never really done the appropriate studies, you know, and, and so let's, you know, just go back and redo what they were supposed to have done to kind of look at that at that. And so it's um, I think it's a really important thing. And, you know, maybe um, Maybe Bobby gets elected. He he will set that back up again. He won't be able to be in charge of it. He'll have no. a lot of other things to do. But there are plenty of us out here who've done this. You know. Well, if
1: he, if he gets elected, I, I, <laughs> and I, I of course I would love it. But I, uh, I would. Well, I said that in 2016, I didn't think Trump was going to possibly get elected. So that, and you know, of course, it turned into what I've written about. But still, at the time, I was just flabbergasted because he was running against Hillary Clinton. I thought the fix was in. Um, so if, if he could be elected, boy, that would be uh, just the fact he's saying things like there's no presidential candidate ever. I waited a long time to hear any, pre- let alone the son of Robert F. Kennedy talking about how the CIA, the government killed my uncle and my f- father. Like, wow, that's just pretty, uh, pretty incredible. So uh, so do you have much do you, do you think that uh, I think just him being in the campaign changes just by raising these issues?
0: Well, that's logic. what a lot of us had said from when he first declared was whether or not he gets to the place where he's a serious contender and, you know, get maybe gets on the ballot to even be elected. You know, in the meantime, it's sort of like when Trump came on the stage, you know, when there were 22 candidates standing up there on the stage and then it was getting narrowed down and narrowed down. I think when there was maybe eight that were that were left, I, I thought, Trump, really? And so what I did, what I personally did, because, you know, uh, just I have always been I've always kind of followed his career. I mean, I read The Art of the Deal when it actually came out in the 80s. And, -hmm. you know, I really liked the television show The Apprentice before it became The Celebrity (laughs) Apprentice. And so, you know, so I thought, really? So I thought, well, I know what I I really want to listen to what this guy has to say. So I went out to YouTube and listened to entire speeches like the entire 30 minutes of what he said, instead of just the little sound bites mm-hmm. taken out of context that the mainstream media was doing. I thought, this, this is pretty interesting stuff. And he's saying things that I think would be really good for America. And, and so, and, and I've read co- you know, a couple of books about it. And I think that, that one of the, th- so in, in, in parallel to that, I mean, what Bobby's doing is he's being able to put out there, out there about stuff, that none of the other candidates a even know about, and b if they did know about it, they're not going to be bold enough to say it. So I think that's good for the country. It's good for society. It's good for the people who are just mainstream media CNN devotees that they're suddenly going to be able to hear that oh, masks aren't good. Really, <laughs> seriously, masks masks aren't good. I mean, it's still Don. It just I mean, I just flew down. You know, I live in Cleveland. And I, Cleveland, Ohio. And so I flew down to this event, and it's still never because I, I still do a fair amount of domestic travel. It just never ceases to amaze me how many people are still walking around with masks on. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And the mask, and today I saw quite a few moms with the dragging their kids with their N95s on. on uh, yeah. You know, just crazy. Don't, don't they look
1: at the boxes? Doesn't every box say this, this mask doesn't protect you against, uh, viruses or anything like that it's just it's it's just amazing that um so once you when you first did, so this was when you you were when COVID first allegedly came out you were skeptical at the beginning was it a gradual thing or is it like me About the COVID? first time yeah I mean were you great were you skeptical at first or did it take a while for you to question the thing maybe
0: two weeks okay <laughs> okay and I'm yeah. not exaggerating when I say that maybe mm-hmm. two weeks I mean, because the week that this really started to unwind, I was literally in St. Thomas. This was the first week in March. And I was leaving from St. Thomas to go to Munich because there was a big international meeting. RFK was going to be there. It was a big deal. And I'd been invited to speak at this conference in Munich. And while I was in St. Thomas you know, these people from Munich said, you know, we need to cancel this conference because you guys might get here and not be able to leave. I mean, we, and we didn't even really know what was going on in Europe at that time. It was just starting to come up. So, you know, I'm sitting down there with some friends of mine. I said, I guess I got to cancel my trip to Munich. And then I flew back to the U S and so this was around the 10th of March. And then, you know, around the 20th when every my friends that were in St. Thomas were like pulling up weeds and trying to get out as fast as they could, you know? And it was like, wait a minute. What is this all about? And then I remember listening to the first couple of things with COVID, uh, with Fauci and Trump. I mean, it's like, if I'm sitting here at the computer, my television was like right over there. And so I was watching these things and I said, no, this can't be. Please tell me this is not another bird flu. Because I wrote mm-hmm. a book about the bird flu in 2005, you know, and I mm-hmm. wrote it in real time of what everything that was happening politically, what happened with the PrEP Act and all that stuff. I mean, I wrote it in real time. It's not in print right now. And I've actually kind of ripped it apart and put it into my sub stack in various different places. But it's, um, is that really what's happening? And it took me about two weeks to go, oh man, this, this is all about control. And when they started talking about the, the, the Operation Warp Speed and the EUAs and they would all be protected, I thought, oh man, this is, this is gonna get worse and worse and worse. This is all about politics and control. And then when I started personally reading about the WEF, and how the WF started and how the young president uh, the of young, the young leaders organization, I said, uh-huh. So this is how they were able to infiltrate this over the last 30 years and get every country to be able to go, yes, sir, all at the same time. And shut it down everywhere at the same time.
1: But the, so, that, And, you know, that's where I began the book. I said, I just, you know, this, what shocked, so much about this disillusioned me. Number one, the people with the mask and obeying the social distancing and not questioning it at all no matter what they said. It goes back to those experiments. I always forget the names of the experiments, the 80-20 split uh, several years ago where they had an experiment on, on people obeying authority. And they just they determined that 80% of people will obey authority figures no matter how nonsensical the orders are. And 20%, and, and that's, you know, that, I can't well, never name, somebody in the chat probably know, but um, and that's played out like that. I think the, the 80-20 split we see in so many things, but I think it's, it's very... Uh, disillusioning to me. Cause I, I thought, you know, they canceled sports. They can't March madness and the, the playoffs and, and they, the movies were shut down shopping malls. All I said, you know, people are they're They've gone to, I, I think I, my, one of my first talking points when I did interviews is that I think they went too far this time. That's what I said. Cause I said, cause I gave the people more credit. <laughs> I thought they're, they shut down everything. They're not going to stand for this. You take away their sports and their movies. I and was their, wrong.
0: Businesses. And their businesses,
1: their businesses, <laughs> just everything. It's so it was, but it was a worldwide thing. But they they shut down the entire world basically in about a week. They didn't need a single troop. They didn't need a cop. No shot was fired. I mean, I don't know what that says about us. But it's just so I I'm famous for bad mouthing Americans, but apparently the entire world is that stupid. I don't know because I mean no <laughs> nobody questioned it. It's, it's like, you know, how do you, how did you not the have, world,
0: you know, the World Health Organization has been like push back, push back, push back, you know, push forward, let, you know, put on the accelerator, come back put, you know. And when they did this, when they sort of did this globally, worldwide, um, and the Amer and the Americans didn't engage and push back, no. they knew they were further down the path of globalism and world control and tyranny than they even thought they were. And so yeah. when the when Americans just rolled over and said, "Okay, I'll put on a mask, I'll close my business, I'll go bankrupt, <laughs> I'll stay home, I'll we'll take my kids out of school, I'll do all this other stuff, just make sure I don't get sick," well, they, um, Trump, they even, just they, they just went
1: forward, full yeah,
0: court press.
1: They did, and you had uh, one of the uh, interesting things right at the beginning. It was just before Easter, and Trump even threw that out there. Wouldn't it be beautiful? He opened back up at Easter. I kept thinking, okay, you're going to have some renegade pastors. You're going to have some renegade churches. They're they're not going to close. They're not going to have all Christians agree not to go to church on Easter. That can't happen. It did happen. It did happen. There were, I mean, and I, I thought, wow, this is because you – and that's what we see. There's so many problems today with so many other issues, the, the craze, transgender madness, and all the other stuff that's going on. Nobody – the churches aren't speaking up. They didn't speak up for this. They didn't speak up for that. They – they rolled over and they wow. they acted as if they were part of the government. But this this took place. You look at something, when this happened, it was right, I believe, in the midst of what were those uh, really heartwarming Yellow Jacket protests in France. But the Yellow Jackets went inside and put their masks on. They were like, you know, what what happened to you? You're, you're pro- I don't know what you were protesting before, but this doesn't warrant a protest. But I just it's just really disillusioning to think that there's that little fight in people, but especially in Americans. I mean, we, we've probably had the fewest uh, protests of anyone. We had that one little thing in Michigan that uh, that they demonized because there were some Confederate flags. A very small group. No others. I haven't seen any others. When, when the uh, the uh, the mother was arrested after taking her kid to a park early on in this thing, arrested by police because the park was supposed to be closed. You had a little bit of a gathering outside her house, but those are the kind of things that, you know, that should have elicited hundreds and thousands of protests. Same thing with the, uh, the gym owner in New Jersey and the, uh, the hair salon, Shelley Luther in Texas. Where were the people supporting her? They didn't show up.
0: You know what? I think I think the, the heart of protests went out of most Americans on J6. Yeah, yeah. We got a million people mobilized. A million people mobilized. To the, to the, um, to the, in Washington, DC. And Trump, instead of being a martyr and standing up there and, and taking hold of the people, which is his most incredible, powerful thing, yeah. he said, go home, see ya, thanks for coming, and mm-hmm. got on a plane and went to Texas. You know, I was sitting watching that with a, a friend of mine who's, um, who's Lebanese and was talking about how he squandered his best asset. The people. The people were behind Mm -hmm. it. We mobilized a million people that came all the way across the country to be there. And then when that whole thing got set up, and then those people that are still in jail and have now been now been sentenced to another 10 years in prison. I think that the heart of protest, I think that people and with this this the stolen election that would happen, you know, and we'd get what we got. This I feel so, you know, I don't respect anything about Joe Biden none but i will tell you the thing that bothers me is i think where you know when you said where are like the animal rights and re- animal activist yeah. people where are the people that stand up for elder abuse yes. i think it's an elder abu- this this man has obviously got dementia he's obviously failing and they're propping him up and making him do these horrible things that i just think is elder abuse I really do. And it scares the bejesus out of me to think that um, that's the guy in charge of our country and our yeah, red button. you know? Yeah, I've got all these things going on. But I think that the heart of protest, the heart of we did everything we could and it didn't do any good. We had 80 million people that voted for Trump and it got stolen. We've got our 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 midterm elections that several key ones got stolen. Yes, yes. We've got people sitting in jail that haven't even been charged; have been sitting there for two and a half years. Yes. yes. And I think that people are like, a, ah, I'd love to protest. I don't think it's going to do any good. Or b, I would go out and protest, but I don't want to end up in jail.
1: Yeah. Well, that and that's what I say because I live near D.C. and I could I could go to all these things. But uh, as I said, you know, I'm not going to. First of all, after what happened January 6th, it does scare you, but and that was a pretty big crowd. Yeah. But I'm, I'm definitely, I'm not going to go to any of these protests that draw, like, I, I love Gerald people. Salente. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love Gerald Salente. I love his anti-war rallies he has. He had one here in D.C., but, you know, 150 people, 100 people, it's it's not enough. You have to have at least hundreds of thousands to get their attention, I, ideally millions, because that's the only power we have, really, is is a, a huge advantage in numbers, but we don't do it. And, and I guess maybe everybody's thinking like me, well, I'm not going to go because no one else will be there. But we've tried things like uh, early on, a lot of us way back in the day, you know, used to send these emails out to people about uh, don't buy gas next Thursday. Now mm-hmm. that's 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 a risk free message you can send. Now, they can't come arrest you for not buying gas on a particular day. Not, not even in this tyrannical country. They haven't come up with that yet. But and you could buy gas the day before or something. You couldn't get people to do that. And it's not like it really would have hurt them, but it would have let them know you were there.
0: You know, no. I think I read a, or somebody said something to me one time that what is the, what is the um, opposite of courage? And, you know, pe- most people would say fear. Mm-hmm. And really the opposite, the, the opposite side of the coin of courage is apathy. Yeah. And we're losing our country every day by apathy. People you know not willing to stay engaged, not willing to stay in the game. You know, the, the WF and all these people have kind of taken the pressure off a little bit. It's summer. I'm going to travel. I mean, airports have been packed. I mean, I've traveled in the last three weeks. I mean, I really packed. The planes are all packed. And it's like, yeah, well, whatever. You know, right. eventually in, in the, when, the, when they roll out in July, the central bank digital currency and people just <laughs> yeah. go along with that. We yeah. will, our country will be done and we will be permanently enslaved. And once people realize all the things that have been taken from them, then they're going to go, oh, we need to do something about this. <laughs> $10 late and a, a yeah. day short, a day late and a dollar short, it's a day late and $100 short. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah. And, and there, there's no reason to think that uh, they won't allow the digitalized currency because they've allowed, they haven't fought anything yet. I mean, may, maybe if they you know decide to be King Herod or whatever and demand everyone's firstborn, I, I don't even know if a lot of people would fight that. At this point, I've never seen the world as apathetic, but Americans in particular, there's, I, I, it's just amazing. And I don't know about your how your family, how has your family reacted to you? And uh, because my family's all fractured, and most of them think I'm nuts. My son is the only one that's really on board with me. And uh, you know, we already were, we didn't get to go to one of our nieces' uh, weddings because my, my kids and I weren't vaccinated. So you have to get vaccinated to come? No, we're not going to do that. So it's that kind of stupid stuff that, that's, that's uh, I know, fracturing a lot of families. I wonder, especially you've been so outspoken in the forefront, how, how do the people around you, uh, how have they reacted? Are you a black sheep or do they support you?
0: You know, I'm probably in a very unique situation when it comes to that. I mean, I've been a lot, I've long said that uh, for people that have been ostracized and everything by their family, um, your blood relatives are not necessarily your tribe. No. <laughs> you know, and that it's really important now more than ever, not only from a physical thing, who you're going to go to dinner with, but um, from a spiritual perspective yeah. to, to be surrounded by like-minded people and to find your tribe. And I've been really blessed to be smack in the middle of a great big tribe of like-minded people. And because I really, honestly, I really don't have any family. I mean, I was, mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I was an only kid. So I don't have sisters, brothers, nieces, and nephews. Both my parents are gone. I'm not really, we had a really small family in terms of cousins. There's one cousin who lives in Atlanta that I talked to once in a while. I don't have any children. My husband passed away nine and a half years ago. His only son had been killed a couple of years before that in a car accident. Oh, so when I say I don't really have any family, you are in a
1: unique situation. It's,
0: it's really, um, I'm not, I'm not trying to get any sympathy. It's just a statement of fact. Well, yeah, well I, I don't know if, the, you know? I don't
1: know if it's better or worse. Cause I can tell you, I have a huge family and it, 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 it kind of stings a little bit to be canceled, and you know. I'm sure and, and, it does, and, and, and I and I
0: really have great empathy for people, and that's why I try to be the supportive person to say, "Yeah, it hurts, and yeah, you're blood related to those people, but are those the people you want to be in a foxhole with, just because uh, you happen to have blood? Uh, not you, at you're, this point. You're, con- you're connected <laughs> because of bloodlines." Are yeah. those, if, if those are not people that you would want to be in a foxhole with or in a firefight with and know that they'd have your back, that's not your tribe.
1: Yeah, well, you're, it's a great way to put it. And you see Karen Carpenter on the screen is saying she very much appreciates ah, your know. work very sweet. and enjoys the five docs together and individually. You have, you have well, well, let me fans. just
0: put in a little plug here for the five docs. Okay. Please so do. We,
1: put in all the plugs the, you want.
0: The fourth Thursday night of the month, we always, you know, Dr. Larry Pilevsky and I do Critically Thinking with Dr. T and Dr. P every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we've been doing it now for almost three years. The fourth, and then we've pulled together the five docs. And for the people that don't know who the five docs are, it's me, Dr. Larry Pilevsky, Dr. Lee Amerit, Dr. Carrie Maday. And Dr. Christian Northbrook. we've we've labeled ourselves as the Five Docs. And the fourth Thursday of the month, we always do a Five Doc, you know, webinar. We've got a big event that's coming up. It starts July the sixth. It's July the sixth that runs for six weeks. You know, those of you that have been following me for a long time, we you know that twice a year we do uh, in our co- in my other company in Learning for You, we do a an online uh, boot camp. Well, this summer we're doing a five-doc boot camp. It starts July the sixth. It's every Thursday night from eight thirty p. to ten p. If you can't be there because of time zones or whatever, um, you can watch it after the fact, and you have a year access to the material. But we've put together an incredible program for six weeks, every Thursday night for six weeks. Um, registration is now open. It's three hundred and forty-nine dollars. You can go to learning for you, learning the number four. Y O U that or it's a org and sign up. We've had a lot of people sign up already because it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have debates. We're going to have discussion on material that we haven't really presented to the general public before. And it's July 6th to August 10th. It's every Thursday night and August 10th. It'll be all five of us together. It'll be a great, a lot of fun, great education, a lot of bantering back and forth. But if you go to learning for you, learning the number four, y-o-u.org, and sign up for the five docs bootcamp. Um, and you have a year uh, to access the material if you've missed it or you can't be online. So we'd really love for you to come and join us.
1: Well, it sounds great. And you got an even better thing from Kat Goyer. her say, how does she stay so beautiful and young looking? She seems <laughs> to get younger. Tell her we need her secret. Oh, well, you can't get goodness. a better compliment than that. <laughs> Seriously,
0: I think that it's really... Um I don't know. It must be must be your camera. It's gotta be your camera over here. It's <laughs> really what it is in StreamYard. It's really what it is. I so right now I'm so tired. I, I I was up most of the night last night. There were some things that were going on. I got about two and a half hours of sleep and got up at 4.30 this morning and got on a plane and flew down here. So it must be StreamYard. It's got to be StreamYard.
1: John Bassiglon says, Dr. Tampenny, ask RFA Jr. if he would do an interview with Don. Don deserves a shot. Well, I do deserve a shot. I I, I, I hope he would. I th- I, oh, yeah, I'm sure
0: I, that he would. There's no reason why he wouldn't. I yeah. think it's just that you haven't been, you don't just don't have the phone number of the right person. Between me and Michelle, we can make that happen for you.
1: Well, that would be wonderful. I, yeah. you know, he's, he, I just hope I don't scare him too much because I, I am a Kennedy fanboy and you know and he probably he's having read some of my stuff you know this guy's a little you know because that was my you know kennedy i was a very little kid when he was killed and that was the first memory almost i have and a very catholic family you know talking about it and uh, you know a lot of crying a lot of talk of you know johnson did it no you know i was a little kid absorbing all this so i heard all this and uh, so it was just kind of natural for that and his father that's why it excites me, you know, even though people say, ah, they're not, never going to let him win. And that's probably true. But uh, I that's when I you know, first started interest, getting interested in politics as a little kid when his father ran for president and following the primaries and then, you know, knowing he got shot and crushing me. Uh, so, yeah, that would that would be a lot. But I I know uh, I don't, I don't want to keep you longer than you can be. Say, I
0: just want to say something about that, though, Don. It's like, you know, one thing we kind of all know, people don't get elected these days. They get selected. Yes. And and so on the Democratic ticket, if it's not Bobby, then who? And I look over yeah. on the on the Republican ticket and, you know, Trump's I don't know. There's thing, you know, that he won't he won't um, deny this, that he thought that Operation Warp Speed was great. And, you know, he pulled the yes. Pfizer thing And so he's lost a, a lot of confidence in his base. Yes. And so and I know some people that were all into Trump, you know, when he was before he was elected and when yes. he was elected. And now they're like the antithesis to that. And so I always ask him the same question. OK, who can't be DeSantis? It's not going to be. I mean, yeah. who, who, who? who's going to be who who what's that ticket going to look like and nobody has any answers for that nobody
1: no no and i i, I you know i certainly wish him <clears throat> the best and i think it would be so exciting and uh just but the, the fact he's 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 just him being in the campaign is going to make things a lot more interesting it already has because and there i'm kind of shocked they haven't completely ignored him yet i see cnn i know just uh, supposedly classified him as a republican or smeared him in some way i i think but uh but they're so far. I mean, they're doing what you would predict. But they're not ignoring him. I thought that they would uh, give him the Dennis Kucinich treatment. As well, I, as they
0: I, censored I, him though.
1: Yes, they did censor him. And, but it's ironic that he 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 named uh, Dennis Kucinich as his campaign manager.
0: He did. Which, yeah,
1: that's what I read, and I, I thought oh that was. You know, I love Kucinich, and I and I thought because uh, that that's what I was. I was that kind of Democrat, and uh, so it's nice to see that they're you know my friends like Naomi Wolf and. Cindy Sheehan, Cynthia McKinney, those are all people that I could form a party, you know, in a party with, but uh, none of them are welcome, you know, <laughs> at today's Democratic Party. But I want you, I want you to get. Did you give it all the limbs you needed to, or what, whatever else you want to promote?
0: Oh, I just want people to come to drtenpenny.com. It's like, it's like the cornerstone of everything that we do. All roads lead back in there. If you go to drtenpenny.com, drtenpenny.com and take a look at our podcast. We've, we've got four levels of podcast members. That's how you, if you really want to support what we're doing is to become a podcast member. Uh, Cause that really helps. And then I write two sub stacks a week. I write one on Saturday called I am the evidence. Um, and I write one on Sunday that's called On Walking with God. It's a, you know, spiritual inspiration Christian site. And I almost write it more for me than I do for anybody else. And I'm <laughs> glad that people enjoy writing it's enjoy reading it. I mean, as a writer, Don, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes yeah, you yeah. write you write for you and you're glad that people I, like to read it, you know? Well, I, uh, everything,
1: everything I write, I write to please myself first.
0: Yeah. So and, if you uh, join yeah. my sub stacks, I, I only, you know, some of the people that are sub stack writers, oh my God, they're so proliferative and they write so much that I just mm-hmm. have to, dis, I just have to disengage. I can't take them writing, you know, every day, two to three sub stacks a yeah. day. It's just like <laughs> crazy. So, um, you know, cause there's other people I want to read besides you, you know? <laughs> and so I've made the decision. I just, post t- twice a week. I mean once on Saturday, which is Eye on the Evidence, which is really kind of medical and lots of references yeah. and stuff like that. And then on Sunday morning I, I I post when I'm walking with God. It's just a spiritual verse and just sort of a discussion about it. And so it's um a really an important thing to um for so if you guys come and they're free um i all my sub stacks are free i don't have a paywall but if you mm-hmm. want to donate to you know be part of that you know, we've exactly also a, know. we also put put a donate join button which sort of supports us but it's all free and i really wish that if you are already a sub stack member please share it please get the information out it takes me a long time to write them i mean i like to write i really like to write but golly all people like you and people that are like oh i write i have written 26 books it's like I can't even write one. How in the <laughs> world can you write this much information? Well, you know?
1: on Substack, I know what you mean. But I, on Substack, I try to keep it to two, maybe three times a week, too. Because I, 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 first of all, I, I I think I'm saying the same thing a lot of times. Mm. You know, how many times can I say we're on the verge of collapse, and this, you know, we're worse <laughs> than Sodom and Gomorrah? You know, it's like I'm so black pilled, so I'm trying to come up with something different, but it's 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 hard because you look out there and you you struggle to find some hint of optimism, but uh, I, I really appreciate you coming here. appreciate you writing the forward for the book. Thank you. And, and uh, I hope you'll, uh, if you do talk to RFK, and maybe I would love for him to know about the book because he's mentioned, and as you know, he's mentioned many times in there and my admiration for him is obvious. And I think that, you know, the people who I put on the cover of this book, I call them the Mount Rushmore, of, uh, but not in a good way for COVID, Trump, Biden, Fauci, and Gates. But if I put you know a Mount Rushmore of the good people, uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. would definitely be on there in terms of you know of, of attempting to fight the uh, disinformation and the misinformation. So, uh, anyhow, I, th- I appreciate you being here and everybody check out her work, your profile and courage. You've been very kind to me, I appreciate it. And I, I thanks very much for coming on my show. And I hope we'll talk again soon.
0: I hope so too. Thank you so much. Have a great evening.
1: Thank you. Take care. Take Bye-bye. care. Goodbye. Okay. Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, everyone, you know, wonderful to have her. And I'm looking through, let's I wish, um, I still cannot access, uh, Rockfin. That's been the last few weeks. I don't know why I used to be able to go there and I can, and I'm not, uh, <clears throat> I have to talk to Tony about this. For some reason, I usually get an email notification. Uh, your show has gone live on Rockfin and I can click on that and then I'll be able to access the chat room. But for some reason I'm not getting it. So, um, so I anyway, got lots to talk about, obviously, my book. And, and I see Lisa Belanger. Boy, I have not seen you in a while, Lisa. So glad to see you here. And I, and Lisa instant f- first brought up the uh, – Lisa's probably more black-pilled than I am uh, – about Bobby Kennedy's statement about climate change. And uh, I was discussing it earlier in the show. And I uh, if you missed it, I gave – I I think Sherry Tenpenny's going to see RFK Jr. I said, tell him he should issue a comment about that. He needs to explain that because that was really a, an extreme remark. It bothered a lot of people. I don't think, I, I can almost guarantee you that's not his position now. Why he said it, I don't know. He's kind of walked it back a little bit saying that, you know, climate change has been weaponized, but I think he needs to address that and say, yeah, that was really an extreme thing I said. And I suspect he would do something like that. So I, I think that, uh, and as I think uh, uh, Karen Carpenter, somebody was talking about, uh, you know, we all we all have said some crazy things in our past that we wouldn't want to have to uh, to try to uh, explain, you know, years later. Thank you, my brother, Steve Cameron. Thanks for the uh, congratulations on the new books. Really good. Going to read the Beatles book next by you and Bob Wilson. Absolutely. Yeah. I have, I have the I have two books it's simultaneously released and uh, kind of at the opposite ends of the spectrum, really, because COVID is the COVID book's about masking truth, about as controversial as, as you can get. And uh, the Beatles book from Abby, I mean, from Starberry Fields to Abbey Road, a Billy Shearer story, it's kind of lighthearted. You know, it's a little bit of a departure for me. It's mainly Bob Wilson's idea. But uh, we talk about the Paul is dead thing and uh, have some fun with it and have a lot, a lot of celebrity interviews, people that were in the music industry giving their thoughts on it. Uh, let's see, Wait, what looking at all the people here. Christine, good to see you. Uh, Karen Carpenter. Right, well, says, 2020 was the year the line between the sheep and the awake became obvious. I see my buddy Vince Agnelli. let putting as many as comments I can up there. Karen Carpenter so obvious that with COVID, that science and health were not the point of the decisions being made. Well, absolutely, and you know, as we said many times, if uh, if this was about health, then uh, if if they really cared, and you know, again, I can't stress it enough, having worked in the medical uh, medical industrial complex. I can't tell you how little they care about your health. They really, really, really don't care. And uh, this is just a job to them. I can't tell you. One day I may write a book on, on that uh, healthcare system itself because I worked inside it. I saw the sausage being made. I mean, I saw nurses wishing people, including kids, would die. I saw it. Um, I, 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 just things that I can't forget. And uh, just horrible stuff. It's a horrific system. And the people, I don't know if they start out horrific or they start out terrible, but they they end up that way. They become jaded and they become desensitized. But it's a, it's a for-profit system. A lot of people make money off the, the wrong things there. And that's the problem. And uh, when you have uh, something like Obamacare, which was misrepresented as a, a government insurance program, which it absolutely wasn't, it was written by the insurance companies. And the only thing it did was... Uh, it had two good provisions in it. One was it uh, got rid of pre-existing conditions, which was a definite because lots of people uh, couldn't be treated because of that ridiculous uh, <clears throat> provision. If you were already sick, you couldn't get help for it before you got insured. And uh, the other one was letting adult children stay on your insurance program until they were 25, 26. And that helped with both of my children. So I'm not going to badmouth that. That was good. But uh, the uh, the mandate making people buy it was ridiculous to, to force somebody to buy a product and of course it didn't really it didn't really offer anything different you didn't get a great deal uh, white wolf says the catholic church has set up and kept their churches open covid was, it, it, well yeah, not just the catholic church but uh, you and i are catholic so we feel that the most but well look what happened white wolf i mean again the the churches have have you know organized religion is so bad you know, it's got nothing to do with belief or organized religion is definitely different from spirituality or individual belief in God it's I have a strong faith but uh, churches even on things like I I think it's maybe 20 years ago or something you always you look at old movies you can see scenes where uh, the homeless or anybody anybody walking along you could walk inside a church I th- maybe all, I know Catholic churches you could maybe you couldn't do it in all churches but Catholic churches you could walk in there three in the morning uh, you know, what, you want to talk to someone or you just want to go in and pray, light a candle, whatever, you could do that. And it was a way to get, you know, shelter. You could come in out of the, out of the inclement weather and maybe you were homeless. You didn't have anybody stay that night. So it was a beautiful thing that you can, what more appropriate place to go for that than the house of God. Uh, but about 20 years ago or so, all the churches started locking up at night, supposedly concerns about crime or whatever. And they usually use one excuse and I think this is a sad indictment in our society. That something that was a, a a big part of our civilization for a long time, uh, you know, is it, it, gone. Now. So it's it's. And I think that not enough has been said. I think the right again, right wingers need to call out the uh, the pastors. And that White Wolf says he's fed up with them. I Me mean, too. I mean, because it's you know, if you have uh, if you have a situation where let let's say look at something like. Uh, when you used to have pro-life demonstrations, I knew Catholic priests that marched in big pro-life demonstrations you used to have a lot more opposition that was vocal and was out there just to abortion. But now you have something that's gone beyond abortion, I think, with the transgender craze and all that. You don't have any anti, any pro-life type, anti-transgender uh, demonstrations. They don't exist. You get a handful of people, and I've seen the videos of it, and it's sad, that, that show up to these people. Uh, these transgender rallies. And, you know, somehow they're outnumbered wildly by, you know, a very minute percentage of, of people in society. And they're usually bullied and physically overpowered because they're so outnumbered. That's, that's shameful. Where, I mean, whatever church is in the area that they could easily assemble a couple hundred people to counteract that at least. Where's the pastor up there making speeches about it? I don't see it anywhere. They're not talking about this, but then they don't talk about anything. They've lost a moral high ground. And, um, you know, it, and it's it's very shameful. It really is. <clears throat> Christine says she got to join us in talking about the education. I think she said she was a teacher. So, well, and, you know, certainly we need to talk about that. That's uh, Milgram experiments. Thank you, John Baskin. I got that too. That That's the one about the, the 80-20 split. And yeah, if you've read my writing, you know, too, I have the 80 uh 80 the 80 20 split I, I bring that up all the time I brought it up in Survival of the Richest because it's based on casino numbers. Casinos uh, have long uh, been based on the, the diehard mathematical formula that you let 20 percent of the people win. So when, when you're when you're playing the slot machines and all that, it's, it, you're going to come out eventually do an 80 20 split. 20 of the people, 20 80 of the people have to lose in order for 20% of the people win to win. And I've called it uh, our economy at large a casino economy because that's the way it works. About 80% of the people lose so that 20% can win. Now, most of that 20% is not winning to that much of an extent, but they're doing really well. They make hundreds of thousands of dollars. They have all the creature comforts they want because that's really all anybody needs. But then you have the rarefied air of the 1% of the 1%, the true 1%, the billionaires. And they're really, really winning, obviously. But the the, the people below them, the 20% is just they're they're managing the, the rig system. But uh, that's for economics. And it even works into the incel and Chad thing that you know I've read about the thing about supposedly that 80% of the females all want to have the same 20%, the Chads. It's interesting that 80-20 split you see everywhere. And then in the Milgram experiment, you have the 80-20% split in terms of 80% of the people. Just blindly obey authority, no matter how stupid the orders are. So um, I'm looking see we got uh, Lisa Belanger's title. I'm Six would be pumped to have you on. Yeah, there you go. You're good. Christine, go. Six does a great show, The New Prisoners. Pat the Plumber says don't forget the Hong Kong pro- and I you know, I mentioned that in my book too if you read my book you'll see uh, yeah that was right at the beginning of COVID that's when the protests were happening in Hong Kong and, and it's interesting they were happening in Hong Kong and the Yellow Jackets were everywhere in France once it happened what happened to the Hong Kong protesters um, Chris said he's no, no get mad but is the guest canceled. I know what that's like Chris as you know that's kind of the thankless task of doing shows like this, where you you know you don't have a uh, like a radio station that can uh, handle all that for you and, and and clear the guest and know that they're if they're going to make and have a backup and everything. Right. Um, well, says he was getting ready for every neighborhood crazy cat. Lady. Well, I got to be careful. I, I called so some- I I wrote something in, and Cat can relate to this where I I. I I talked to, I don't know, I made up some kind of thing about women surrounded by cats that had rejected men or something. I don't know I shouldn't have, you know, generalized, but, and somebody took me to task for it. <laughs> said, oh, I, I, love it. I said, okay, I understand that. I, something against cats. I, I love all life. Uh, something against that. At, um, Karen Carpenter says a private Mennonite school here in central California she stayed open the entire time. when others those were closed. Well, very nice. A wealthy person paid the daily fine. Students only master. If you, well, that's really cool to hear. And uh, we need more stories like that because I I was under the impression that, you know, not too many people uh, disobeyed any, anything. Uh, Christine talked about, well, I think it was yesterday, actually, that Biden took a fall. And uh, I just reposted it. If you, some of you are confused. If you subscribe to me on two different sub stacks, and that's really where I'm promoting because that's the only place I'm not shadow banned. My main sub stack is I protest like this show uh at substack.com, but I have another Substack and I, I think it's D Jeffries. I don't I don't even know what the address is, but it's Donald's newsletter. And if you're wondering about that, I I it accidentally happened because when I went to a pay option, and again, every I don't have a paywall, I'm a populist, so all the material there is free. If you're a subscriber, you're gonna get everything that a paid subscriber gets. But I put the pay option up because if somebody wants to support me, then that's fine. You're not gonna get any extra, but I really appreciate it. If you want to help out that way, it's great. It does help. So I have pretty many paid subscribers now, but um, when I went to put the pay option in, somehow created another separate sub stack, and I have not been able to figure out how to get rid of it. So eventually I just said, you know, and people started subscribing to me there and I wasn't even writing anything. So I said, well, okay, let me put up a couple of messages. Hey, please go to my other sub stack. And people still kept subscribing to me there. So I said, okay. Um, so then I, hatched the brilliant idea. Well, I got all these back articles and stuff. So I just started using that, the Donald's newsletter one as just kind of a, uh, a best of thing where I'm putting older articles up. And I, I did simultaneously cross post a few times, including to announce my, my book masking the truth. So if you're wondering about that, so, but you know, you can, you can catch some of my old, older articles there on that one. And uh, it's getting more and more subscribers. Is Lou Rockwell published something from there the other day. He usually publishes. I uh, protest once so and he's got a big site, and uh, you know that causes uh, people to come and subscribe. So I always love to, to have that. Um, Constitution. Yeah, <laughs> we know how Vince Agnelli feels about that. Yeah, you know, and, and nobody believes it. We have such a, a crazy. I've marked this so often. I don't think we've ever had a situation in the history of world history where. Um, a document, a constitution of a country is so ignored by the people who are have, who have to swear to uphold it. They literally, I mean, they don't, at least most parts of it, I don't know what parts they do believe, really, to be honest with you, but they certainly don't believe in the First Amendment, the Bill of Rights, and um, Second Amendment, or Fourth Amendment, the, the entire Bill of Rights, they don't believe in. And so it's, um, again, it's, it's a situation that's never existed where you have People swearing to uphold a document they are vehemently opposed to. Very strange stuff. Um, White Wolf says he doesn't think protesting will help at this point. That ship has sailed, only a prayer is. Well, yeah, and I've said many times the only prayer with the no man, no human, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., nobody, DeSantis, Trump, nobody, nobody's going to be able to. Even if Trump had been sincere, he, he, he would have been had a hard time getting anything done just that we would like to see him try. So obviously he wasn't sincere. But um, so at this point, it's, it should be obvious when you look at the other side, some of their stuff can only be described as, you know, when you look at, uh, I don't know why it affects me more when I see girls, but because when they really don't show, thank goodness, pictures of boys with, you know, the scars down there, but they do proudly display these young underage, often mostly underage girls, with uh, topless, you know, which used to be uh, not allowed, used to be, would be considered, and I don't know, why isn't that child pornography? By the way, they're underage, they're they're nude if they were girls, but I guess it's okay because you can show underage boys, but, and they show their breasts have been removed and they have these lo- these incredibly ugly Frankenstein scars. I mean, don't they have a way like to cosmetically hide that or something? I, it's, it's almost like it's a part of the madness. Let's leave a Frankenstein scar, And they're beaming. They're so proud. I I saw a guy like Productions posted something, just a gorgeous young girl. And then you had the before and after. And then suddenly you have the picture of her with her head, you know, head hair cropped into the man hating hairdo, although she's becoming a man, and uh, with the the Frankenstein scars. And usually their beaming mom is on one side of them. It's always the mother. I'm sorry, guys, it just is. The fathers are not pushing this. They may be going along with it, but they're not pushing it. If it wasn't for those mothers, I don't know how many of these things would be happening. They're the ones that are triggering it and initially supporting it, and the fathers are going along with it. Sometimes, some of them have enough common sense to fight it in court. Uh, and the other side is the evil doctor representing the medical industrial complex, doing harm, which is supposed to be their first admission: do no harm. They're definitely doing harm. You're mutilating somebody. This is not medically necessary. It's awful. So, uh, just those those photos really disturbing and show, to me, when I look at that, that is coming from the darkest place imaginable. That is coming. That's Satan inspired. I'm sorry, that just is. And so we need to go to the light. We need to have faith. This is a spiritual battle. Only God, only Jesus Christ can possibly counteract that kind of stuff. Uh, January 6th, Warp Speed, John Bassiglund says, not pardoning assigns signs, the lockdown, bombing Syria, doing nothing about the border. All this and more is why we know he's now Benedict Donald exactly. And uh, David Knight, like said, if you guys caught me, I was on David Knight the other day, uh, promoting the book, trying to go on as many shows as possible. Uh, obviously, love David Knight, and uh, it was. Um, but you're you're right. I mean, I've written about Trump many times. I mean, there's that's his legacy, and it's amazing to me that people And just look what he did the other day, where he. Uh, it Just you know, irrationally, just a. T- it's again. I don't. Know, I still think this is all an act. But maybe some of it really is his crazy personality. Maybe age is seeping in. I don't know. But he just went off on Kaylee McConaughey, and if you know who she is, I mean, you know, she's a, a, a good-looking blonde who's very well-spoken, and and I think she did a pretty effective job for him as press secretary. One of one, probably one of his least objectional appointees. Uh, certainly better than uh, his. Uh, I even remember the names of the ones he had before that, but uh, he just went off on her because she said he was up by 25 points on DeSantis in some poll and it's 34. And okay, well, even if that's true, she made a mistake and I I doubt she was trying to disparage her old boss, who she seems to still support, but that's the kind of crazy stuff he does. And uh, Lisa Belanger says, if people want basement jail to be put through hell, calling Adult Protective Services would be the long way. (laughs) Well, you know about that. Adult Protective Services, and certainly I've had lots of guests on this show. Uh, Child Protective Services, so, you know, I guess any Protective Services are, uh, you just don't want to call the government for anything if you can possibly help it, folks. Uh, That's just, uh, you know, the, the conspiracy people are famous for saying never call the police, and that's great advice. Don't call CPS. Don't call Adult Protective Services because they don't, they just make things worse. And I mean, Maybe there's some stories where they helped. I don't know. I've I haven't heard very many of them. Um, Christine saw a nice uh, OBGDBQ ad on her feed. You know, they're, they're everywhere. That's, that's uh, White Wolf says the USA was lost in '73 and abortion was legalized. Well, you know that's. But we've gone so far beyond that, and and at least that did create. A lot of opposition. You did have you know lots of people, including the Catholic Church at least at one point was very big, even more so than the uh, fundamentalists on uh, countering uh, abortion and one thing I will say about it at least the church for a long time they were uh, you can make fun of their birth control thing and not believe in the birth control, but you carry it to a logical extension they were the only ones that were walking the walk fully. Because logically speaking, they believe that the only reason for sex is procreation—that the only, it, you, our child should have to be born out of it. So, by that logic, then you should not use birth control. That's saying I agree with it, but uh, that's the uh, so they—they they, I think they still teach that. I don't know. I'm, I'm a fallen Catholic, so I don't know. Uh, I'm just looking at some of your comments here. Uh. Vince said, No, he's tired. I know you golf, Vince. Jeez. Um, Christine needs to boycott Amazon. Well, yeah. And that's what it's hard to find my tribe, Christine says. Yeah, well, you know, it's. um, I think Dr. Tenpenny was right because uh, that's why. um, uh, one of the hardest things that i realized is that how, you know, when people, especially when this is basically a spiritual war, and if a lot of your family is not on your side, and in my case, they're not. And so if there was some kind of a physical battle, I don't know how many of them would fight again. I don't I think we didn't fight, but if it would ever come to that, but we would be on the opposite side as much as you saw in Civil War. And I consider so many of you guys, uh, you know, you guys are my tribe now. That's what I hear from it. I talked about it ever since I was uh, fired unceremoniously for helping out a handicapped coworker back in 2000, I believe it's been five years, 2018. I, mean, I believe I've been in this life, full-time writer, podcaster, this world totally immersed in it for five years now, but I have been. And uh, I don't really miss that. I just miss the paycheck. But then uh, you, you miss the camaraderie for a while, but I would have been fired over and over again in the ensuing years because- I would not have been, first of all, I would have constantly been removing my masks when the boss went around the corner. I would not have kept that stupid thing on all day and uh, would have been fired just for that, probably, because they, mon- they had cameras and monitors anyhow. So it wouldn't even make any sense to do that because they would have been watching me. Um, I would have been complaining. I would have, you know, my 44 years in the workforce, I never held back and it usually was entertaining to people. I was doing what I'm doing here, kind of. Those were my conversations where I was ranting and raving about whatever, the issues of the day, history, hidden history. And uh, most people, uh, nobody ever complained about me doing it, believe it or not. But you can bet they would have been complaining about it if it was today. Uh, When I was talking about COVID, I was saying saying people were stupid to be getting vaccinated, stupid to be wearing masks. I would have been fired uh, every day, I guess. But So I guess it's a good thing. I'm looking at these things here. Okay, Karen Carpenter. Oh, I see Randy Benson, that's nice. It's always great to see people show up here. Good to see you, Randy. Randy wrote, uh, his, his, uh, did a great film on the JFK researchers. So the converse is a large gathering of protests, is a large gathering of support. For example, we can get thousands in Dealey Plaza with the 60 if those numbers can't be ignored. Well, I, Randy, I, I agree with you, but uh, I hope, I have a feeling they're going to do what they did for the 50th. If you remember what they did there then, they uh, they put up, you know, I guess barricades around the area. You know, Dealey Plaza is, you remember when Penn Jones and those guys used to gather on the grassy knoll. I don't think they're going to allow that to happen. I think they're, you know, if they did it then, I think they're definitely going to do it now. And uh, I think, you know, you might have Alex Jones if he's up to it doing what he did last time, you know, uh, bull horny uh, horning. And, you know, again, most people in the research community would not like that, but I have a feeling that's what's, what's going to happen. And, um, uh, my friend, uh, William Law and I, and Bob Wilson, all three of us are working on a book about the JFK assassination garrison from a unique perspective. And we hope to have it out by the 60th anniversary. I think William, at least I'm not going there, but I think William is, uh, probably going to be there. So you might see him if he's there promoting the book. Um, Ben says, when I was young doing stuff I shouldn't have, yeah, I, did, I probably did way too more stuff that I, that I should not have, but uh, we all, did. and that's why I said when people, Bobby said, you know, Kennedy said that thing about, you know, climate change, it's, it's hard to, you know, I I don't want things thrown back in my face that I said, although I, you'll never find a statement, you know, like that, because I don't make those kind of statements where I want to condemn or punish people or whatever, Um certainly not to imprison people. We have too many people in prison. So uh, you're not, you have to search pretty hard to find something like that from me. But um, that's where I think you, even though it's as controversial as I am, and all the stuff I say, I, I try to steer clear of those kind of declarative statements that so-and-so is an idiot. So-and-so is a criminal, you know, because first of all, I don't want to be sued. I mean, when I do be- shows of, and I've done several interviews about the Beatles book, I'm very aware that Yoko and the Beatles themselves are pretty litigious. And uh, I, you know, I've heard they've gone after pretty small shows. So I'm very, uh, I'm very careful about what I say there. Karen says, yes, Dennis, this is his campaign manager. And Ed Dowd is one of his campaign trans. Yeah, very good stuff. Uh, Dennis Kucenitz is great. I've always tried to contact him too, but I've never been able to get through him or his wife. Um John Baskin says, "I don't have to choose or select Stalin or Mao. I will not be a party to selecting or supporting a narcissistic traitor like Trump." Well, yeah, I don't think uh, Trump. I think is you know, at this point, he's he's history, and maybe he doesn't want to admit it to the extent that he's <laughs> that he's not an actor. He knows the script, but I, I suspect some of the things he's doing, the attack on Kaylee McConaughey, he's done the the irrational attacks on DeSantis, calling him Desantum. When DeSantis again. I said his last chance to show that he had one ounce of sincerity of his, in his body, and I've talked about this a lot, wrote about it, was when uh, that ridiculous uh, DA up, up in New York, I've already forgotten his name, uh, complete clown, the same guy that's letting out all these criminals and you know letting them off, violent criminals, charged with violent crimes with no bail, uh, reducing their sentences from felonies to misdemeanors. These are violent crimes. Uh, these are the people you don't want on the streets, but this guy does because they're largely black and he's black. So it's a racial solidarity thing. But, um, the same time he goes after Trump for some, the most nonsensical rape or sexual assault allegation ever. The woman can't even remember E Jean Carroll can't even remember the year it took place late 1996 or, 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 or early 1997. I mean, can you imagine that that alone getting in trial after that? Uh, happens in a public place, in a dressing room, she doesn't, I mean, I don't know if I was being sexually assaulted in a dressing room of a busy store, I would probably make noise and start screaming. And it's one thing to say, well, you know, he got me in a dark alley where nobody was around, but I mean, that makes no sense. And she admits she didn't yell. And then years later, after this trauma where she can't even remember the year, years later, she posts online women, would you have sex with Donald Trump? For eighteen thousand or some kind of weird figure, as long as he wouldn't say a word, you know this. I mean, again, how does it, how does that get thrown out um, instantly? But as I said before, when he went to the court, he was going to be convicted because that's why he went to court. That was the whole thing, a part of the shreds to symbolically convict him, like they symbolically uh, you know convicted Alex Jones. They may do that to Trump or Tucker Carlson as well. The people that are perceived to be opponents. Uh, to the tyranny that had big platforms, and it's, it, they're symbolically trying us by doing that. But Trump, in Florida, as a resident of Florida, he would have to be extradited to go to New York. Governor DeSantis, his who he hates, came right out and said, "Hey, you know what? Uh, I, this is a stupid, bogus charge. I, I don't, I don't recognize it as legitimate. I'm not going to extradite him. So Trump was protected." He could have sat there in Florida and keep playing golf all the time. And I said, if he has any ounce of sincerity, this will be the first thing he's ever done. Because just by not cooperating, it's a big giant finger to, this, to the rig system. It would have been great. Of course, he didn't do it. I mean, I knew he wouldn't. I knew there was like a half a percent of chance that he would I said, so, yeah, Trump will keep the form and he'll go. And that's exactly what he did. And of course, he lost because that's what he does, he's the designated loser. And uh, but so that, that was, you know, just to me, the idea that um, that this guy you know, has a chance. And, and, and then, he, then he attacks and, and, and lashes out at this And again, I'm no fan of DeSantis. But in that case, DeSantis was uh, pretty bold to the extent that that's not scripted too. But he did say, you know, hey, you'll, you'll be protected. And if anybody had caught Flack, it would have been DeSantis. It would not have been him. They would have gone after him. So he was completely protected. But uh, you know, of course, he he can't do this. It's like if he had pardoned Julian Assange on his last day, especially Assange. Maybe not Snowden or Manning as much. But if he if he uh, had pardoned Assange, he would have gotten at least as much praise as it wouldn't have been a controversial move. He could, in a typical Trump style, said, "You know." Some people asking me to, to uh, you know, to pardon Assange, and, uh, and you know he wouldn't, because that's what he does. Instead, he pardons the president of Death Row Records, and the guy that uh, you know got Jonathan Pollard, uh, the Israeli spy in the United States, started. Uh, just absolutely ridiculous. John Boscoan says again, choosing Stalin better than choosing mouth. He likes him a in 2020. What does he keep from me? Stalin 20 exactly. I thought all presidents are so Why should I support him? Exactly. And this is this is the issue is that so even talking about Bobby Kennedy Jr., I don't know what I'm even talking about because um I don't know what Chris is talking about. It's on live on the show. You know, so he must be, oh, it's on wrong. Oh yeah, yeah, I know it I know it is, but I I can't access the chat for some reason. I don't know why. I used to uh, be able to go there and I would um, be able to access, and I used to get a link in the email that I would just click on, but I don't get it anymore. I to to talked to Tony about that. I don't know. Um, Lisa, I, I hope you still love me, Lisa. I still love you. That's great. And uh, I uh, I think of you whenever I do these shows, when I, I uh, have the people from CPS on, because they're going through a little something different than you, but it's the same kind of premise. They're losing their kids and to, uh, you know, nosy neighbors that see, you know, hey, your kids look like you lost weight. And in the case, if you saw the uh, the people I had on recently where, I mean, they had seven children and the, the stemmans. and the whole thing started when their teenage daughter, they're teaching her to drive. And we all, I've had kids, you know, I taught them to drive. And uh, the idea that you could be, you know, just looking and in the case of the, they thought maybe their daughter needed glasses because she was struggling to see when she was driving. So out of concern, they took her to the doctor. Now, I don't know why they didn't just go to an optometrist or something, but I guess, you know, they trusted the system some for some reason. And uh, their insurance, I think they had to go to the regular doctor first, whatever. But again, they got somebody. They got a social justice worry that young girl, like so many of these teachers you see, just got out of uh, school or whatever. So she's ready to go. She's ready to change the world in the woke way. And she's looking for stuff. She's not there checking somebody's eyesight well, She, you. can I see here? You know, what are you doing? any signs of abuse for your parents anything like that. But, uh, no, she's saying, you know, why are you so thin? And again, and you know, to me, it's refreshing to see thin people in this day and age. I'm sorry. And I, I would like to know, like, if anybody took their child to a doctor who was obese, like an increasing amount of kids are now, would any doctor get involved there and say, you know, why is your child obese? You know, we need to do something about that. No, it's only when they're, you know, they think they're malnourished or something. And, um, Karen says she agrees that Bobby Kennedy has to, it was taken out of context. And again, I, I, you know, nothing else that he's ever said really uh, fits along with that. And Lisa says he may need a new wife as well. Well, yeah, that's, <laughs> I, I hear, um, I hear that a lot that she's the issue and that, you know, it's, uh, you know, that's, that's been the problem for, that have plagued a lot of people. She's some kind of an actress, so, you know, she probably has um. Uh, a lot of the woke stuff in there. I'm sure there's a bone of contention between them when they discuss vaccines, I would think. But anyhow, if you if you watch that show, and I guess I'm usually I'm ranting and veering off in different directions, that's what I do. <clears throat> and um, they, they had their seven children. They, they ended up losing all seven of their children because they made that initial visit to that nosy doctor who contacted uh, social services, child protective services, They went and looked, and and for any of you that support this stuff, just think how it is when you're, if if somebody questions your parenting and you have little kids, you know what kind of stress that puts you under when you you have these people that have the power to take your children away from you, come and visit and are observing what you're doing? I mean, it really, it's really hard to, you know, it's hard to act normal, you know, when people are looking for you to be abnormal. And that's why you know uh, I was I used to be dubious of all psychiatry, because uh, I, when I was young I read Dr. Thomas Zaz, who was a gosh I wish he was alive. Uh, when I started getting on the air, I would have loved to have him on. He wrote *The Manufacture of Madness* and *The Myth of Mental Illness*. Renegade thinker, and he really made me look at the world in a different way because he used to talk about how you you know just you, if, if you're looked at that way, if people think you know something's wrong with you mentally then they start noticing you're agitating. You know, I have a lot of ticks and nervous stuff that I do because I'm kind of just, I am, I'm just, you know, nervous and, you know, kind of high strung sometimes. Uh, so people could look at all that and say, well, oh, what's, you know, what's going on there? He's got, you know, he's got something. And um, certainly paranoia, all of us could probably be classified uh, as paranoia, right? And uh, it's paranoid, but it's, you know, when you look at, it, okay, he's, you know, he's late. Oh, he has a, you know, he's rebellious. You know, he's a, he's, he's got something, you know, he's, he's being combative. If you're on time, if you're on time, oh yeah, you're too anal, you're prompt, you know, there's, so there's, there's a way to look at it. You can define somebody. So it's, it's, it's very nerve wracking to uh, when you put under that kind of scrutiny. So I feel for those people and they lost all seven of their kids. That's, you know, unbelievable. So hopefully you catch those shows, Lisa. Chris says, I should write a book with Peter Sikos. I guess I should. I've written a book with everybody else. Um, <laughs> I, 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 write, I can only write so many books. And I was talking to Peter. And I think Peter should write a book uh, maybe with Chris. On uh, Chris, I suggested to him that uh, he's, he's done so much work on the John Lennon assassination. And you certainly know uh, Columbine and uh, Kirk Cobain especially. Write a book on those kinds of like a series of murders like that. I think that would be interesting. I think you guys could do that. Um let me see here. I'm trying to see what else. Sorry about that. Look at that. But anyway, so I and I wanted to talk a little bit. About one thing I was just I was just reading before it came on the air. You know, the things when I keep thinking, you keep saying how far are they gonna push the envelope? They had a, a choir, a children's choir that came from South Carolina to Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, to sing patriotic songs, not religious songs, patriotic songs inside the Capitol building in Statuary Hall, one of those historic parts of the U.S. Capitol building. Believe it or not, I mean, this is, again, this is, it's like it's out of the onion. Believe it or not, they were stopped in the middle of singing the national anthem by just an irritating-looking female police officer. Didn't even do it herself. She sent somebody else to do it uh, because it was thought that the song could offend somebody. Now, could you get any more ridiculous than a children's group traveling, much as the Kentucky teenagers traveled to D.C., traveling to the nation's capital to sing patriotic songs in, in the building where our representatives are housed? The essence of our democracy that we're fighting for in Ukraine—this um, could anything be more ridiculous than that? I mean, it's amazing. I guess they weren't uh, maybe shot or something, or at least arrested and charged with insurrection. But I, you know, I, I could not believe that. Look it up; it's a real story out there. We'll see if anybody um, anybody takes their side, especially on the Democratic side of the aisle. Um, Chris Buchan says, do I know about Stephen Greer's big disclosure event at the National Press Club? I do not. And I'm, I'm not sure who Stephen Greer is. Um, illuminate me. I have not heard that, but I'm sure there's uh, certainly disclosures to be made. No, I, I don't know anything about it, Chris. John Buskin says, presidents selected by the oligarchy elections are stolen with no measures. Why become invested in the clown show? And, and it is. I, mean, I I don't even know why I'm talking about it, but uh, it was, as if it's a fantasy that Bobby Kennedy might win. White Wolf says uh, the Catholic Church uh, capitulated to Vatican II. Yeah, and White Wolf, you would be interested to know. Uh, I would have loved to have him, have him on the show, but he, I think he died before I had a show. But uh, Hutton Gibson, Mel Gibson's dad, one of the most knowledgeable Catholic scholars I've ever read. And I got on his uh, mailing list. He actually answered me a couple of times. Um, but uh, this guy, I couldn't even understand half what he was writing. He was so brilliant. But uh, he was, uh, you know, he didn't accept Vatican II. He didn't accept any of the popes, starting with uh, John the 23rd or whatever it was during the past Vatican during past Vatican II. Uh, and he was responsible, I think, for getting Mel to build. Um, they, they, I think, they still have the church out there where it's a pre-Vatican II church. They, it says the Mass in Latin, and there are churches like that out in Washington D.C. They have, I think, it's Saint Mary's, where uh, Pat Buchanan, who another guy I would love to get on the show, but I've not been able to figure out how to get a hold of him. Uh, was regularly going to mass with his wife for a long time. So, um, interesting stuff. Karen Carpenter says she spent a lot of time researching the alternate cancer treatment industry in alternate ways, corruption and lack of compassion in the medical system. Yeah, if, if you saw it firsthand, you would. it's bad enough. But man, if you see it behind closed doors, it's like work. I like just said, if you, if people talk, if you work in a restaurant, you're never – probably after you see them picking lettuce up off the floor and meat off the floor, we've all heard these stories. Um, and it probably happens in every restaurant. You're not you're not going to go eat at that restaurant. You may not go at what goes on in other restaurants, and maybe you can think that it, it doesn't go on there. But um, Christine wants to know more about my experience in the meds. Well, I mean, I again, I would like to talk more, and I, I may write a book about it someday. But I, I just um, – just give you one tidbit. And it's one, I, I'm still ashamed of myself to this day, but I, I was, uh, but again, I, I, I feared for my job and I was working midnight shifts, uh, delivering papers, uh, to, in, to the nursing floors. And, uh, I knew everybody. I was, you know, a loquacious guy back then, even there's a lot of friends. And, and the, I, I was friends with the uh, unit secretary on, uh, there and, and uh So we were chatting, as you know, I got lots of conversations. My delivery took quite a lot longer than it should have because I got extraneous conversations. But uh, I just kind of saw in the background that it was a commotion going on. It was an ICU unit. There was an old woman there, and she was being berated by a nurse. Uh, Some security guards were up there, and they just kept screaming at her, You have to go home. You have to go home. And I heard her kind of pathetically saying, I don't have a ride. I don't have a ride. And, you know, come to firm from their conversation. Her daughter had died, her adult daughter, and her, her adult, the body was there still in the room. And the old woman naturally was distraught. She wouldn't leave her side. I guess. I don't know what her situation was. Maybe that was her only family. She have everybody to come pick her up. But the way they were talking to her and I wanted so much and I still regret that I didn't say, what the hell's wrong with you people? Why are you treating her like this? Is this the standard of care that they used to, you know, brag about all the time, but I didn't have the balls to do it? I, I feel guilty about it to this day, and I don't know if they would have fired me or what, but, um, you know, um, that that's still, that's just one little thing that I saw. And I know, you know, lots more happened like that, but this is the idea that you could treat someone like that, especially that had just lost a child, just shameful, beyond shameful. Uh, Felix, my man, Felix says, can you comment on Jamie Foxx? I don't know. Billy Ray uh, said Tony and I, uh, a text about it yesterday. I I, I don't know. That's what they're saying. I, I, and I look, I got a full disclosure. I don't like Jamie Foxx. I think he's a major, no talent. He hates white people, really hates white people. Okay. I know that. Uh, he's the one that years ago gave a big party in Hollywood and he had a big flashing sign outside that said no white men allowed, white women, but no white men. So as a white man, I'm not going to like a guy like that, especially when I think he's a monster, no talent. So, but still, you know, obviously feel bad for anybody that has, uh, So, but I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but I wanted to just, uh, you know, full disclosure there. Okay. Okay. Chris Buchanan says, I'm living up to my name right now. I don't know. what is What is my name? <laughs> Uh, it's supposed to talk about Tesla and, and free energy and big pharma. Cool. Oh, that's great. Well, that sounds good. Right up, um, right up my alley. But I, I, sorry, I'm not sure what my name is that I'm living up to. <laughs> but, uh, I've been called lots of names. The pistor, Pastors or Wimps White Wolf says they're all afraid of contradiction. Yes, they are. And, and it's actually, sh- it really is shameful because uh, that's what we need right now. Because this is, you know, I'm talking about it's a spiritual battle. So many of us think that, well, we don't have any spiritual leaders that are being paid. It's just their job, let alone they're supposed to have a special covenant with God, and they obviously don't. Uh, Vince says, we can see the nuns, how many times they can whip us with the painter before we scream. Yeah, I pointed with, Yeah, you know, that's, I've never heard a good story about nuns in Catholic school. I, I, I just don't know what that is. And it's a shame. Felix is saying 80% vax, 20% that. yeah, there's that they probably the, the split again, the 80-20 splits everywhere. Oh, but Chris says it's bullshit, it's only 60%. I, I really don't know. I'm looking to see what else we have here. <laughs> okay. Um Kohl's is supposedly going woke now. Okay, well, is there any is there any company that isn't woke? I mean, any big company? And, and Kohl's, I got to tell you, I, uh, I've i uh, had several bad experiences with Kohl's. You know, if you want to buy any appliances or anything like that, uh, you pretty much have to go to Kohl's or uh, Best Buy. Um, uh, I'm not Kohl's. I'm not sorry. I'm, I'm thinking Lowe's. Like, okay, I don't know. I don't know about Kohl's. Are they going to be like Target? Yeah, I might. My family shops there. It's a, we have one near us, and uh, if I do venture out into the world to shop, that would be where I go to get clothes. Uh, I'll keep that in mind now. I guess I'll. Uh, but I mean, again, where do you go when you protest these things? Uh, what's the alternative? Where are you going to go? You can't go to Target. We know that. And uh, and Vince says Chick Fil A went woke too. Yeah, and I'm trying to find out if it's true. There's a rumor that if you that every Chick Fil A has a um, a shoe shine brush. And that if you go in there, if you're black, you can go in there and, and demand that some white guy uh, shoe shine, shine your shoes, which is, again, what's the, that idiotic? Keep in mind, this was supposed to be a right wing demonized organization. Chick-fil-A. Oh, my God. They're closed on Sunday and they're very Christian, very holy. Uh, they're anti-gay. But for some reason during the BLM riots that their CEO shocked everyone, but apparently not the conservative world because he came out and said that white people should should uh, be shining the shoes of black people. I mean just what what a first of all what an idiotic thing to say, what a divisive thing to say, what a demeaning thing to say. And uh, this guy kept his job. I think he finally his son took over from whatever, but I don't know if that's true or not, but so it doesn't surprise me at all that they're woke because they went at that point they went from being, you know, incredibly so-called conservative to to woke. Um, as can be. Karen says, can we submit questions for RFK Jr.? That would be the, the, the bees knees. Sure. Uh, uh, please do. If I have them on my show, of course, we'll have plenty of questions for them from you guys. And uh, But again, will uh, that happen? I don't know. We'll see. Donald Jeffries and Peter Seacosh's book should be in order. <laughs> Chris, okay. Well, we have to write it first, Chris. I know, I know he's got a lot of research, but uh, and again, keep in mind, you know, my, my plate is really full. I want to do, and especially if I ever hear back from Megan Walsh, who I haven't, who had, who was all excited about wanting me to help her write her book, um, which I might be willing to do. I don't know, but, um, I haven't heard from her since then, since she was on the show. So I really don't know what's going on, but I have uh, the book that I'm writing with William Law and Bob Wilson that I, I want to try to get out by November. So I'm hard at work on that. I need to turn it in by August. Um, there is uh, Hidden History Three, or whatever we're going to call it, that I'm still waiting on to see what happens with that, and I might be moving some stuff from Hidden History Three to the JFK book and vice versa, to try to uh, to see what what actually goes because some of the parts in the Hidden History Three I can go better with the Garrison story. Um, so I just in Hidden History Four, as uh, you know, as, as Chris knows all too well, along with Peter, uh, sent me uh, you know a bunch of stuff already for that and uh, Chris is the main guy there. Cause we took your, that's the Sandy hook and Boston bombing and all that stuff. A lot of the, uh, these events will be in that book. So uh, I have a lot of these things kind of lined up, you know, so I don't know how, how much, I mean, I can write a lot, but uh, you know, I, even I have my limit, I guess. Um, Chris is talking about Jews. Okay. I understand it. And I, uh, <laughs> uh okay. Uh, Karen says he saw a podcast postulating that corporations are expected to get in line with the transgender agenda and participate with Fed Now. Well, I mean, what corporations? I mean, tell if anything, the corporate world is at least as woke as every government agency. I don't. I don't. If there's a corporation out there that's not on board with the program, I don't know what it is. I'd like to know what it is. Chick Fil A might have been one you would think, but now they're uh, more woke than anyone. Um. Chris Bucken says uh butt raping aliens run the government from under Denver Airport. Well, uh the Denver airport is a real thing. If you've seen the paintwork there, um uh, the mural, which you know <laughs> the last thing you should be putting up at an airport is a mural that looks like people are fleeing and screaming of a plane crashing. I mean, who who thinks to do that? Very, very the Denver airport is very disturbing. Yeah, the rumors that they have a huge uh underground facility there that's probably a bug out zone or whatever. We don't know. Um Kat says, you're so right about draft-dodging Ten Commandments, breaking down on Trump. I don't understand why some people evangelize this campaign if he's a second coming Christ. Well, I disagree with you on the draft-dodging stuff, uh, Chris Kat, because I would have dodged the draft. I, I uh, Now, of course, he would have done it just because he's, uh, you know, he can, uh, like all the other elites, but um, certainly I've made my points clear on Trump, I think, at this point. I don't know how anybody could... Uh, could possibly think of him as anything other than an actor or legitimate Harlan Stonewall says uh, people are going going to lose their tax exemptions I don't know we'll see I mean it's certainly there's a anti uh, there's such an anti-christian bent as well in, in society I mean you again just look at look at the battle between Ukraine and Russia Again, I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved at all but if you look at the sides, Putin, on the surface, is talking about restoring Christianity. He's talking about the crazy transgenderism and the mad culture stuff that's going into the U.S., especially, and he wants to rebuild churches. Uh, and you have uh, Zelensky, on the other hand, who's banning churches that are affiliated with Russia in any way, plays the piano with his penis, uh, who's you know disgusting pro- this, You know, who's who are you gonna? Who, of course, who are we gonna support? Is there any doubt? How how can you not support uh, the guy that plays the piano with his penis? That's the USA. That's America 2.0. Chris Buckin says, yes, Caitlin McNair is hot. You probably have to shower a bank statement before she agrees to have a date. (laughs) I think she's married with kids, but yeah, I think think, uh, certainly uh, somebody that's that attractive. um, I would imagine that's the case, especially since she's high profile and doesn't need anybody's money. Chris Gray says, Don, tell everyone when they can see you on tinfoil hat. Oh, let me look at my calendar. It's, uh, where's tinfoil hat? Uh, next Wednesday, June 7th. It's the same day I'll be on your friend Chuck Ocelli's show later that night. I'm, I'm doing a lot of stuff. I was on David Night the other day. I'm hoping to get back on Coast to Coast with a uh, different co-host, um, uh, guest host. We'll see. I, I put out feelers to him, and uh, he said get back to him. So maybe that'll happen sometime uh, trying to get out there as much as, uh, as I can to promote the new book. And again, if you can, uh, you can get, a, Substack is the best place to find out about it because I'm, uh, I'm shadow banned everywhere else. And so I have to, I just have to make announcements there. So please subscribe to me, DonaldJeffries.Substack.com. Chris says, is Megan Walsh coming back anytime soon? Any feedback after, a pre- well, everybody loved it, but, and she loved it at first, but I have not heard from her. I think she answered me one time, but she didn't, you know, so I don't know if she wanted me to help her write a book and then wanted to come back, but I haven't, uh, not since then. There's Tony. What's going on, Tony? I've just been listening in the background. Great show, Don. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Chris Buckin says teachers are trying to, to, uh, he, Chris is giving the Jews a break today. He's, he's switching around now. Okay. I'm <laughs> talking about gay teachers. That's good. <laughs> But uh, yeah, Sherry Tenpenny was great. I'm just trying to get all these things in here. Uh, yeah, do you know why I'm not I, I'm not getting the, the Rockfin link anymore, so I can't I can't figure out how to chat. I used to get it in my email automatically like I got the YouTube link. They did I, I don't think they put out a notice today, but you are live on Rockfin. Okay, it's just I can't figure out how to way to uh, to uh, access it. Karen says there's a big custody going on in her family now. My stepkid's son's kids were taken after his wife died of cancer. Waiting at a court date for a court date to get them back down. Well, it's sorry to hear that, Karen. But as you know from watching the show, you could probably relate to some of the shows I've had recently. It's uh, that stuff is out there everywhere. It's everywhere. White Wolf says Hutton Gibson was ahead of his time. He was, man. I wish I could have that guy. Mel Gibson's dad was so smart. Do you know he made he made his money as a contestant on Jeopardy? Hutton Gibbs, he won tons of money because he was one of those guys that just knew was an expert on everything. And back then they didn't have as many of them. And then he also had a lot of money. He was, uh, I think it's just kind of just a regular physical labor. And he slipped on a thing or something he got a big settlement for hurting his back or something. And that's why he moved him to Australia, but he was so underemployed. The guy you read, you read those emails. I still have them. The, 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 the one the, the scholarly things he wrote about the Catholic church. I mean, you know, he's amazing. So, uh um, And I give mad props to Mel Gibson because he was under so much fire because his dad was denied the Holocaust. His dad did talk about all that stuff constantly. And uh, Mel was attacked for that and saying, basically, do you repudiate your father? And he said he answered. He said something like millions of people died during World War Two. Some of them were Jews. My father never lied to me. And I thought that was just really courageous. He stood by his dad, and how many, you know, how many people would do that? So uh, I really had great respect for that. I think I've gotten everything I could here. It's just about uh, over. Uh, thanks everybody. Thanks for all your questions in the chat room and everything. Tony, it's great to have you aboard, and um, you know, we'll we'll be seeing each other in uh, what God, not not long now. Twelve noon. Yeah, tomorrow. we'll we'll be on America Unplugged tomorrow uh, on this channel. As a matter of fact, I've got to do a little bit. We'll have to take this uh, show off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to take this off right away But uh, for the first time. But uh, in the meantime, please, guys, go out. You can order my book, Masking the Truth, How COVID-19 Destroyed Civil Liberties and Shut Down the World. Uh Dr. Terrius Tenpenny, the, first, the guest, she was the one that uh, that uh wrote the forward to that. So go to my st- Substack. It's the easiest way. DonaldJeffries at Substack.com. Subscribe to me there if you aren't. You can get all my regular rantings and ravings a few times a week. Uh, and you will see a, a couple articles back. I talked, to, announced the new book. I had the link there. It's through Lulu. You can, that's the only place to order it for now. It will be out everywhere, Amazon everybody. We're holding it back for a few weeks to try to get people a chance to bypass Amazon if we can. And uh, once it gets out there, of course, I want ratings and rankings on Amazon because that matters. That's how people view it. So please support me there if you can. Thanks everybody for li- Thanks Tony. Thanks everybody for listening to I Protest. We'll see you next week at the same time, same channel.